Good morning. It's great to be here and uh, as my father-in-law used to say, I can hardly wait to hear myself <laughs> with that tremendous build-up. Um, as I have uh, prepared the message and I've shared it in a number of places as travelled around and um, is there going to be something on the screen? Okay, just a bit slow. Okay, there we are, our van that we travel around in. And uh, if you're wondering of the dimensions, that's uh, four metres high and uh, ten metres long. And the overall length of the two vehicles together is uh, just under 15 metres. So we've been to Tassie and we've been uh, to Queensland, up to Cairns and uh, all over South Australia. And it's our home away from home. We have a home in, in Melbourne, but we spend um, over, five, uh, over seven months on the road, sometimes eight months on the road. And uh, we are enjoying the responsibilities that God has given us. It's a privilege to be able to serve the King of Kings. And I'm sensing this morning a very high degree of expectation. And all I can say is... Um, I'm glad the Holy Spirit's living in me because I couldn't meet your expectations. Amen. Amen. And uh, I want to talk to you about the finished work that Jesus accomplished. And I want to be able to share with you um, some of the things that have tripped me up over the years. Uh, Liz actually has a message that she preaches about the dumb things that she said. Uh, because uh, many times we don't fully comprehend. Many times we are confused between the Old and the New Covenant and we find ourselves quoting uh, Old Covenant promises when there's a better one in the New Covenant. Um, The Bible says that uh, he has given us a better covenant with better promises. And why should we use an Old Covenant promise when there's a better New Covenant promise? promise? Why should we use a conditional promise when there's an unconditional promise? What do you think about that? If you can say amen or me or whatever, just go right ahead um, because um, that sort of tells me that you're listening. So, Okay, hanging on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The Greek word he used is tetelestii and it means paid in full or completed. Or the will has been fully implemented. We need to understand that Jesus was doing something incredible when he went to the cross. Something that had never happened in all creation. Something that was necessary for us to inherit eternal salvation. And the only way he could do that was to die and shed his blood so that the will, the will of God could be implemented. Um, Liz and I, we've written our wills and uh, there's nothing going to happen about those wills until we're dead. Um, Our kids might like to uh, inherit what we've got, not that there's a lot, but uh, it's not going to be passed on to them until we're dead. But um, actually our boys are actually the executors of our will, so they'll be able to divide it up amongst themselves. Um, However, Jesus didn't trust anybody else to be the executor of his will. He died, 
rose again and became the executor of his own will. Is that good? I believe it's good because um, anyone else might have misunderstood or misinterpreted the will of God, but God himself has actually become the executor of his own will. And uh, Jesus reconciled us by abolishing in his flesh the enmity or the hostility. That's what enmity means, hostility or anger, which was caused by the law of commandments contained in ordinances and might reconcile them both, the scripture says, and I've put in there a little explanation. Old covenant people and non-covenant people in the body uh, to God through the cross. This is what he was aiming to do. He was aiming to reconcile us. You know, there's a lot of fear going on in the world today, especially um, because a lot of people who have a different understanding uh, of who God is have come into our country and are wanting to change our way of life. And a tremendous amount of fear, but I'm excited because of the opportunity. We couldn't go to their country and witness to them. But they've come into our country, they're on our territory now and uh, we can share the goodness of God with them. You know, it's sort of like it was in the days of the apostles. You know, the Romans uh, were ruling the world and uh, they said it's our way or or the highway but the church followed the king of kings and they were sharing um, Jesus with people and the church couldn't be stopped growing. And that's what I believe should be happening today. And through the cross, by it, having put to death the enmity. So the law caused enmity. It caused us to feel belittled. It caused us to feel hopeless. But Jesus came and through his death and resurrection, he nailed the law to the cross. Now, we need to understand that sometimes we read the Bible and we become confused because there are two sets of scriptures that say different things about us. And many people um, are quoting some scriptures and saying, well, this is the Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian while other people are quoting other scriptures and say, no, this is the Christian life. And so this morning I want to draw a a line between those two and I'm going to compare our walk in the flesh with our walk in the spirit. Our state, as we are, viewed from a human perspective. And many of us, I don't know about you, um, but you know, just sitting down there this morning and sensing the the uh, tremendous sense of expectation that is in the meeting this morning, um, I I felt frightened. I I felt awed. I felt, Lord, if it wasn't for you, wasn't for the fact that I know that you're living in this earthen vessel, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. If it wasn't for him, I don't know whether I could do this. And you see, but I'm assured because he lives in me, that he can shine out through me. That he, uh, you know, that uh, when a, a light bulb is made, it's actually made out of sand. 
and normally you can't see through sand, but um, if you put a strong enough light in a pottery jar, you can see the light coming through that pottery jar. And so uh, I'm trusting that you're going to be able to see Jesus this morning in my life. So our state, our human perspective, how we are with all our shortcomings, fears and doubts and insecurities. But Jesus came to put an end to those. You glad about that? I am. I don't know about you. But it was pretty hopeless without him. But when we walk in the spirit, our standing with God, as we are in Christ and Christ in us, empowering us, viewed from God's perspective, viewed from the throne, how many of you are on Facebook? Yes. It's, it's not unspiritual to be on Facebook. <laughs> but, you know, the other week I, I put up something on Facebook. I said, I'm viewing things from the throne. I'm seeing from God's perspective all my circumstances. I, if I was to look at them from my natural point of view, I'd be overwhelmed and overcome. You know, we just paid $6,000 plus Uh, for some repairs on the truck and then we got to Adelaide only to find that uh, the brakes on the truck just, they weren't there. And they'd missed something and the brake line on on the brake fluid that it pumps to the wheels had been rubbing up against something and worn through. I went to put my foot on the brake and it went right to the floor. Fortunately, I was only in Seton's car park, so that wasn't too bad. (laughs) But, you know, it's a nasty feeling when you haven't got any brakes. And uh, so we took it out to uh, uh, Salisbury and had it fixed and, praise the Lord, 400 and something dollars later. Um, But, you know, we we have to trust in God. You see, when we come to a church, we don't... Uh, say, we'll come, but it'll cost you you know, a week's wages or anything like that. We come and we trust God. And some churches, they're only small, and some of them can't afford to have visiting ministry, but we say to them, we're coming because we're trusting in the Lord. And um, we don't get a big offering maybe from that church. We might go to another small church next week, and we may get an offering that covers both of those. All the costs are covered. And as we travel over the years, uh, it averages out. The Lord covers his own bills. <laughs> and I'm so glad about that. But you see, I just trust that God is going to do that. Because you see, when we pull up to the, to the uh, petrol station and we put diesel in the truck, um, it's, got, it's a 200 litre tank. Just at the moment I've been watching the, the fuel prices and uh, that's going to be around about 300 bucks. So... It's uh, not a cheap thing to travel around Australia. (laughs) But God meets his needs. They're not my needs, they're his. And I live in him. And so I'm full of hope and I trust that you are. Now, I was sharing this message um, in another church recently and um, when I put this scripture up, uh, it actually impacted somebody and they went to their pastor and said, Is that true? Is that true that the old covenant is obsolete? And I as got it here. 
In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, when he, God, said, a new covenant he has made, he has made the first obsolete. And just in case I'd got it wrong, I checked it out. I went early this morning. I was up going over the message, polishing it again. And uh, I checked it out. Yes, it's there. It's obsolete. Now, if you were going to buy a new car, brand new car, and you went into the car showroom and you uh, said to the salesman, I'm in the market for a car, a brand new one. And uh, they say to you, um, we've got this brand new model, but we've got a couple of old model cars. They have been superseded. Okay? Now, we will sell you a superseded model at a discounted rate. That superseded model is still a good car. In fact, it's probably a better car than the one that's brand new model because it's had all the bugs taken out of it. But you see, the law isn't superseded. It's obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear, the Word of God says. And so we, we can't take the law of commandments and try and keep those commandments to please God. Yes, we know that's the heart of God. But God has said in Jeremiah that he's going to take the law, the thing that's close to him, the way he wants us to live and place it on our heart. He's going to give us a want to instead of a have to. Is that a good deal? That's what he does. He places his law in our heart that we might want to, not just have to. In James it says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has been guilty of all. You know, you've 99% of the way you've done the best effort at keeping the law. But there's that person that just gets up your nose and you can't forgive them or you can't just tolerate them. You've blown the whole deal. All your effort is in vain. But God has brought in a better way, a better way with better promises. In Hebrews it says, For the law made nothing perfect. The law couldn't save us. It couldn't redeem us. It couldn't make us acceptable to God. Law-keeping or enjoying grace. So man under law. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 22, and many of you will be familiar with this passage of Scripture if I say, and I'll quote a little bit of it, Paul said, the things that I, I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to, want to do, I find myself doing. He said, well, let me illustrate. He said, when I was a child, before I understood the law, he said, I was free from the obligations of the law. But when the law came, I realised that I shouldn't covet. Now, you know, you know most two or three-year-old kids, um, their attitude is, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine too. And you see, Paul is saying this. He said, but when the law came, I realised that that was coveting and that I shouldn't do it. And so the law slew me. 
And so what we have in Romans chapter 7, 7 through 22, Paul describing his life under the law, under the old covenant, and how frustrating it was to be under the old covenant. We know that he's talking about that because in verse 1 he actually says, for I am speaking to you who know the law. There were Jews in the congregation that he was addressing. He said, I'm speaking to you who know the law. You know what it was like to be under the law, trying to do your best, pulling up your socks, turning over a new leaf, trying harder, trying to do better, and how frustrating it is. He said, but there's a better way. And in uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, Paul describes his life under the new covenant, free from condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. New creation life in Christ. Now there's a lot of scriptures that I'm quoting here and some of you are scribbling hard and that's okay but uh, the uh, presentation is on the church computer and I'm happy for you to get a copy of that afterwards. Um, Is it good news that old covenant thinking? Jesus dealt with sin, our sin at the cross. You see, you can still, you can be a new covenant person but still be thinking as an old covenant person. Still thinking from an old covenant perspective. Jesus dealt with our sin at the cross but we're still sinners waiting for his return to set us free from our sins. Now you may not have quite crystallised that in your mind but many people that I meet and I meet a lot of people as we move from church to church and have over uh, our 36 years of leading churches. But you see, Jesus isn't coming back to do something about your sin. He's not going to come back and do something in addition to what he's already done. He went to the cross once for all. Your sin was dealt with before you ever sinned. Yeah, that's right. Legally. As far as God is concerned, he dealt with your sin at the cross. New covenant thinking, Jesus dealt with all of our sin at the cross once for all. He remembers our sin no more. You glad about that? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that because, you see, I don't have to go around with a sin consciousness. Okay, I might blow it occasionally. Uh, If my wife was here, she'd probably tell you more than occasionally. But the fact of the matter is I'm not accountable to her. I'm accountable to him. I'm accountable to her and other things. But uh, what we need to understand, he remembers our sin no more. He's not holding it against us. You know, he hasn't got a big black book in heaven or even a little black book in heaven with all our sins. There's a record of our life in heaven, but there's a lot of blank spaces in that record. Are you glad about that? Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. So when we stand before Jesus, he's not going to be saying, well, look, you're only going to get a little tiny flat in heaven because really... There's too many things that you've done badly 
and I can't really give you a good inheritance. Some people get upset when, they, when I say to them, you know, you need to be laying up treasure in heaven. Jesus said it, so it's, if he said it, that's good enough for me. We need to believe that he wants to reward us. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing deal. You see, what he does is that before the foundation of the world, he planned your life, your destiny. Planned it in detail. Now, some people live there. If, if this was their destiny like that, some people live their lives like this, occasionally intersecting with their destiny. But you see, he wants us to walk in our destiny. And he wants us to understand that what he's planned for us, with his help, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can actually walk in our destiny. Some, uh, up in uh, Red Cliffs in uh, Victoria, there was a couple of girls, uh, twins they were, uh, daughters of Pastor Roland Tankard, and uh, they were prophesying over this girl and uh, they were, they were saying to her, um, God's given you a destiny and they mentioned destiny about ten times and after they'd finished praying they were talking with her and they said, what's your name? She said, destiny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, isn't God good? And you know, God knew that but they didn't know that. She was brand new into the church and they were prophesying <laughs> over her in that way. God is so good. Okay, which is the good news? Old covenant thinking, I've got Adam's fallen nature frequently tripping me up. Or new covenant thinking, my sin nature died when Jesus died. Galatians 2 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I'm dead. I might not look dead, but as far as God is concerned, my old sin nature is dead, dead, dead. And yours is too, if you've come to Christ. It activates. It's like, you know, we get a, a copy of, the, of um, Microsoft Office and when you pay your money, it's activated. And you put that key in and away it goes. You can access all of the capacity. And you see, it's the same with Christ. The moment we receive Jesus into our life, we can access all, all that he's done for us. Everything. Nothing lacking. Nothing, uh, no shortfall or anything like that. It's all ours. He gave me his own divine nature. You see, I can't, live in my own dead nature because that would be just a waste of time. But he's, he's given me a brand new nature, a divine nature. I have the divine nature. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Did you know that you're a partaker of the divine nature, Dave? Praise God. Amen. You have the nature of God in you. It's there within us. And we can live in this divine na- nature. It enables me to live Free from the power of sin. Free. You know, people's natural minds sort of says, but I've still got Adam's fallen nature. No, you haven't. 
You don't have a dual nature. Christ has a dual nature now. He's risen. We need to understand that our human nature, our fallen nature that we inherited from Adam was crucified with Jesus. And we are partakers of the divine nature. Now you can go on living old covenant thinking. You can go on living old co- under the old covenant thinking or you can decide, oh, I'm going to live under the new covenant. And there's lots of new covenant people who are living old covenant thinking. And that's why there's such a struggle going on in their lives because they don't know who they are in Christ. Romans 6, 6, sixth book of the New Testament, the answer to the sin question, 666, the number of man. And uh, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. What does it say? Was crucified, not is going to be crucified. Was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. No longer. You know, there's a song that goes, I'm no longer a a slave to fear. But really, the same applies to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to sin. That's not to say that I don't sin occasionally, but I'm no longer a slave to it. I'm not under its thraldom. I'm not under its control. I'm free to live the life of God that he's placed within this earthen vessel. And I'm excited at the potential of that. Old covenant thinking says God's people are sinners continually needing to make fresh sacrifices. I'm sure that there are some of you who have been through and experienced the same things that I've been through. You did something that you wish you hadn't done. You wish you could get hold of the video video and destroy it and make a fresh video. Run it again and do it right. And the old enemy comes along and he says to us, you did that? Yes, you did. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we are left writhing in our agony because we wish that the enemy would go away and get lost and forget about our sins just as God has dealt with our sins. The word of God comes to us. Jesus is the word of God and says, I set you free from sin. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You're not a slave in the thraldom of sin. You don't have to sin. He said, Lord, I did. He said, yes, I know, but you repented and I forgave you. So why are you still feeling that you have to make fresh sacrifices or do penance to be accepted by me? See, Jesus doesn't want us crawling on our belly or over broken glass or anything like that because he did the painful thing for us on our behalf. Made it possible that we could stand before him accepted Beloved, without sin. New Covenant says God's people are made justified, are made holy, saints, righteous, 
sanctified, perfected, complete in Christ, accepted in Jesus, all made possible through his sacrifice, not through your effort, not through you trying harder. We've got to focus on Jesus, not on ourselves. Old covenant thinking says God's people hunger and thirst for him. You know, there's lots and lots of songs talking about, oh God, uh, I hunger for you. Well, Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said to her, if you drink of the water that I give you, you're never going to thirst again. You're never going to need another drink because I'll be the water inside of you springing up into eternal, eternal life. You see, when did the new covenant begin? At the cross, when he shed his blood. It sealed the covenant. It became a real deal. So here in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus is telling them, hunger and thirst after me. You'll be filled with righteousness. But this is before the new covenant began. This is old covenant. Much of what Jesus said in the Gospels was old covenant. Because if he tried to teach new covenant teaching, they would have stoned him to death. He taught old covenant. He was the greatest law teacher there ever was. He taught the law as it was meant to be understood. And so we need to understand there's a division. The cross creates a division between the old and the new. The new covenant, God's people are completely satisfied by him and in him. We're complete in him. We're content in him because of what he's done, not because of what we've done. Praise the Lord. The old covenant says God's people are slaves to sin. Or on the other hand, it's better to see yourself. God's people are slaves to righteousness. We find ourselves compelled to do the things that God wants us to do because he's written the law on our heart. You see, the problem that people have is that they're still trying in their head to keep the old covenant law, not knowing that God has written the law on their hearts which would enable them to do freely without, without any sense of, of compulsion. We just do it. It's our nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Now, I don't know uh, many of you, but you know there are people who have come to know Jesus because they were frightened when somebody preached about hell. And the reason that they gave their lives to Jesus was because they didn't want to go to hell. Well, you see, it really should be the other way around. We want to go to heaven because we've met Jesus and we know his love and his provision for us. Because we know his love and provision for us, we want to be with him. That's right. I can see you're excited about that. Amen. Old covenant thinking says, note that this 
is where? Still under the old covenant. Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But the new covenant says that's conditional. New covenant is unconditional. Forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It's not a requirement. It's an outflow of the fact that you've got the divine nature in you. It's unconditional. You forgive because you're forgiven. Is that good news? You betcha it does. Just like the Father does to us. God removes his presence from his people when they sin. Or Jesus said, he'll never leave us or forsake us. One of the last things that he said before he went back into heaven was, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when Liz, uh, when we were pastoring churches, she'd go away ministering sometimes and during the week uh, she'd be ministering, who knows where, all over Victoria, New South Wales mostly. Um, But she'd say, Rob, they're going to collect the garbage on uh, on Wednesday morning early. Make sure you put the garbage bin out on Tuesday night. That was the last thing that she'd say to me to make sure that I remembered. So as soon as she was out of sight, I'd put the garbage tin out so I didn't forget. Um, But you see, Jesus was telling us, I don't want you to forget this. I'm never, ever going to leave you. Lo, I am with you always. And nothing can separate us from his love. You see, the fact that God would remove his presence from us because of something, some little infraction that we might do is ludicrous. When he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The actual translation of it is, no, never, ever leave you. There's no doubt. And I'm always with you. Nothing's going to separate between you and I. Nothing is going to separate between us because I love you. Old covenant thinking, law focuses on the self-sacrifice and human effort. But under the new covenant, grace focuses on Jesus' sacrifice and his finished work. Okay? So which you... What are you living under, the old covenant or the new covenant? Pulling up your socks, trying harder, turning over a new leaf to please God or recognising that all our sin was dealt with at the cross? That doesn't mean to say that you can go on sinning. It means that he's given you a fresh start. And as we learn to walk in that fresh start, we appreciate and value what he has done. God's people are constantly crying out for more of God. If God was to answer that question or that request, you would have more of God than God has of himself. How can you have more of God in your life? Oh yes, you may have more revelation of who he is, more understanding of what he can do. But you can't have any more of what of somebody who lives inside of you. 
You live in him, he lives in you. You can't have any more than that. New covenant thinking says God's people are already have everything they will ever need. In first, uh, 2 Peter 1.3, they have all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Nothing lacking, nothing wanting. God the Holy Spirit in all his fullness lives within all believers. You have the same Holy Spirit living in you that Jesus had living within him who enabled him to fulfil his earthly life. He wasn't walking around as God, although he was God. He used the Holy Spirit's ability to accomplish everything he did. Not his own ability. He left that back in heaven. We know that because when he prays his high priestly prayer, he said, Father, I want you to give me back and restore to me the glory that I had with you before I came down here. So he left it back there. We have that same Holy Spirit enabling us that Jesus had. Old Covenant thinking says God's people pray for revival. Notice it's an Old Covenant scripture, Habakkuk 3.2. Or New Covenant thinking God's people are living in revival and spread revival wherever they go. Okay? You may not feel this, but it's not based on your feelings. It's based on the Word of God. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We need to take hold of the promises of God. You know, a lot of Christians are sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. And we need to change our way of thinking. God performs signs and wonders and miracles randomly when he feels like it. A lot of Christians think that. Sovereign acts. New Covenant thinking says Christians perform signs and wonders and miracles guided by the Holy Spirit and through his power and ability that is within them. Old Covenant thinking says God's people think God's in a bad mood, just waiting for them to do something wrong so he can swat them. Well, New Covenant thinking, God's people know he's in a great mood, giving abundant life, granting great promises, bestowing free gifts. We need to know that he will freely give us all things. Recognising a New Covenant teaching, Old Covenant teaching, does it point to what I need to do or does it point to what Jesus has already done for me? Which, which are you motivated by? Are you motivated by guilt and shame? Or are you motivated because of love and grace and mercy that he's shown to you? Go and enjoy living in the finished work of the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as I have spoken and as you have spoken individually to each listener, I pray, Father, that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened, that they might know the hope of his calling and his inheritance in us. Father, I pray that they may know the truth that sets them free and may no longer be a slave to sin and shame. 
Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Make it real to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Wow, thanks, Pastor.